1: Hey, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. And if you've been listening lately, you know I've been talking a lot about sales because at the end of the day, we are all. Salespeople. I know I work a lot with lawyers, and they say, "Oh no, I'm an attorney." Well, if you don't have clients, you're not an attorney. So you actually have to be in sales because we've got to get that first. And so we have had uh, lots of discussions about what it is to really go back to the basics of sales. I've interviewed a few people. I have done a couple of episodes where it's just me talking about sales. I have found myself working more with sales teams, speaking at like all hands sales meetings to a variety of different companies and. Really, you know, we live in this world where there is so much attention the last decade on all the social media tools and everything has gone mobile. And everybody thinks that somehow a like, a link, a share, and a follow really equals a relationship. And I think we need to get back to talking about good old fashioned face to face, belly to belly sales. And so I went out and thought, who do I know? who is a salesman's salesman, just cut from the cloth, right out of the bucket. Who do I know who lives and breathes sales? And that would be Mike Siggers. Mike is somebody who I met via the online world. So it's not like we diss the online world when I say, hey, it's not about a like, a link, a share, and a follow. Likes, links, shares, and follow can lead to friendships, but it takes a little bit of effort. And Mike and I met, gosh, it's got to be coming up on eight or nine years ago, When social media was actually, get ready for it, when social media was actually social. And I think Mike read something I wrote on my blog about sales, and he sent me a note on Twitter, and we had a conversation And we corresponded, and I remember we talked on the phone one time, and then I was giving a speech at a really big conference in Nashville, and he spends a lot of time in that area, and he drove down, and we went out to dinner, and we went to the Grand Old Opry. And, you know, ever since then, I've always considered Mike not just somebody who I, you know, knew online, but somebody who's a friend, and he's the perfect example of why we have to get back to that face-to-face thing to actually have friendships. I'm connected to thousands of people. But I don't say they're all my friends just because Facebook calls people your friend doesn't mean they necessarily are. So Mike is a true and blue salesman. When I asked him about an introduction, he said, I'm a simple guy. I'm a salesman. That's all you have to say. And Mike sells brick and block and stone and all the related products that go with that, and he's been doing it for 25 years. And I want Mike to share a little bit of his journey and his philosophy of what it takes to be a good salesperson, because if you're an entrepreneur or you want to be an entrepreneur, you would darn well better be paying attention to how do you sell the product, because if you can't sell your product or service, maybe nobody can. So Mike, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks, Tom. Appreciate the introduction, and it's, uh, it's funny that the first time we met in person within a few minutes, we were on our way to the grand old lottery, and uh, and since then, it's been uh, easy to connect via text, Twitter, phone, or whatever, and, and I, too, consider you a friend, and I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. So, Mike, did you start you know right away into sales, or, or what did you do after high
1: school? Where, did, where does Mike's begin? But, but don't take me all the way back to birth, but just give me a little bit of the career path that you took.
2: 36 hours after I graduated high school, I was in the Army. I oh my graduated gosh. Tuesday night at 8.30 p.m. and 8.30 a.m. Thursday. I was in the Army, and I spent uh, six years in the service. I came out. I uh, had been married three years at that time and tried the, uh, uh, the small-town factory uh, jobs. Didn't like any of those. Uh, wasn't able to rise above where we wanted to be. My landlord at the time said, son, uh, you need to get into sales because if you learn to sell, you'll never look for a job. And I'm pretty sure that was 1990. And it's true. I've been in sales ever since. And I've rarely uh, looked for a job. Because, And I say rarely because most of the time it was people looking for me. Right. Good salespeople are hard to find, and, and sometimes people forget that. I,
1: I work with a lot of professionals, and I think they forget that the reason that salespeople are paid so well is because it's hard work.
2: It can, be, uh, it can be very tough work if you go about it the wrong way, and even if you go about it the right way, it's still a tough day, and you have to be able to deal with the word no without it affecting you.
1: So, 1990, you, you went into sales, and what was the first thing you learned about being a salesperson?
2: First thing I learned was that uh to get used to the word "no" because you're going to hear it a lot. Uh, I learned that uh, at the end of the day you need a support system at home, be it a, a spouse or a or a pet or a child or whoever you need somebody to 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 talk to to get rid of the bitterness of the day until you get really good and focus in on what you're doing uh, the problem for entrepreneurs is they think everybody is their is their customer, when in truth, uh, my life got a lot easier when I figured out that I needed to be selling or talking to the right person at the right time with the right product. So today, I'm one hundred and eighty degrees off, opposite of back then. Today, uh, I just get up with the attitude of helping as many people as possible get what they need within my niche. And at the end of the day, I have, because of that, they have bought enough for me to make my family a good living. The average entrepreneur thinks everybody is my customer, and all I've got to do is persuade and convince them, and they'll buy from me. And that's a long, tough, hard, ugly life.
1: Well, we've said it a lot on this show, but it's the old Zig Ziglar adage. If you can have anything you want in this world, if you just help other people get what they want in this world—
2: it's absolutely true, and, and that's how I go about my day today, but it wasn't always that case. But when you, when you come to the realization that all I, I'm a servant, I get up and I serve people, and I serve the ones that happen to be looking for what we produce and sell. So you said it always wasn't that way. Why don't you take us back to your
1: early days of sales? What were some of the frustrations? What were some of the, the hardships that you faced?
2: Well, it was a lot of no, and it was caused because I was trying to uh, persuade, convince that old old adage of always be closing. When you think you can close and sell to everybody and everybody, when the world is your oyster and you're trying to sell those oysters to everybody, it's going to be a long, tough day. And I probably have read every old sales book I can find by Claude Hopkins, uh, John E. Kennedy, Elmer Wheeler. I have hundreds of sales books and and uh, marketing books written through the twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, sixties before everybody started just regurgitating and copying the same stuff on their blogs. Back when people had to sell face to face and door to door, and it was actually sales. And every one of those uh, things is is a learning. You know, you put it in your in your memory bank. It's not always relevant, and there there's the problem for a lot of entrepreneurs. They think if they learn how to close and convert and convince that they can sell everybody. And it's, and it's they don't take into consideration that's not how they buy. How they buy is they buy from people. People buy from people, not products, and not, uh, not from companies. And, you know, there are companies that miss that as well. And they think we can have any salesman. We don't have to train them. We don't have to do anything to them. People will buy from us just because we're us. And there's so many traps and pitfalls out there for people and companies in sales that, uh, they, that it is a long, hard road to hoe. So you bring up an interesting point, and that is sales
1: training. So I run into a lot of companies who don't want to invest the money or the time to train their salespeople. They just assume that if they hire them and give them a manual and give them a few, you know, quippy little things to say about the company and a fancy brochure that it's all going to work. So you clearly, after, you know, 25 plus years, 30 years in sales, you obviously uh, have been through some sales training classes. Wow. Well, do you think that's important?
2: Sales training is important, but it needs to be the right, the proper, and the correct sales training, and there is a lot of bad sales training out there, and I do work with a a sales trainer uh, on occasion, and and he has shown me that, uh, and we have found through blogging, through podcasting, and other means, the vast majority of salespeople are not interested in furthering their craft through sales training. They don't pay attention. They want to be out there answering the phone. They want to be driving down the road. They, they're thinking about their next flight in the airport. They don't think it's important to learn about their craft. And they too are wrong, just as the company is wrong, to not give them the proper sales training. And what I mean by that is giving them more literature about the product is not proper sales training. Teaching them how to read and respond to people, that's sales training.
1: So I have a friend, his name is Jerry O'Brien, and I just said this on an episode a, a couple of days ago, but he has a great saying, and that is people don't need more information. And that sort of reminds me, like when you're giving them more education about the product, people don't need more information. They need more action. And I think that's something that holds a lot of people back is, is they, they want to you know sit all day and maybe you know contemplate their clients or they want to use social media and just tweet about their product instead of actually getting out there and selling.
2: That old uh, American Airlines commercial where the uh, gentleman comes out with his sleeves rolled up and his tie pulled down a little bit and starts throwing airline tickets in front of everybody. And they say, what is this? And he says, we're going to visit every one of our customers. And uh, another guy says, do you know how long that'll take? Or do you know how much that's going to cost? And he looks at him and says, yes. <laughs> that's, the, that's the difference in, in, a, uh, in a sales force and the difference in customer service people, salespeople visit people, salespeople talk to people face to face, and they don't talk to them trying to convince them and convert them. They talk to them to try to find out what their needs are.
1: So when I think about sort of sales training, you brought up the fact that there's bad sales training. Give me a little bit more of an example of, of what's bad.
2: Well, uh, you know, there are a mil- million books out there written probably through the 70s that start talking about closing. And there are still people today, unfortunately, that own their blogs or podcasts that all they can talk about is how to close, how to close, how to close. And that insinuates that everybody is your customer and you can close them. You can convince them. You can persuade them. And it's just not true. And people still do that today. Can they convince one out of a thousand? Sure they can. But then you've created a, a, a customer with buyer's remorse. You've created a customer that's going to tell people uh, or say bad things about the product because it really wasn't a fit for them, and it, it, there's nothing good about it. It may make you a living, but it won't make you happy, and it won't make them happy. So give me the example of great sales training. Great sales training teaches a, a salesman how to, how to serve their clients and their customers, their market, and their niche. It teaches them how to narrow down within that niche, the small pockets of people that are actually prospects, and therein lies the difference that most entrepreneurs never get to. Everybody, let's let's just grab one off the internet. Weight training. Everybody that's interested in weight training doesn't want to buy a product about weight training. It might be a new a new uh, mother. So if you created the new mothers guide for weight training you've narrowed it down to somebody that might be interested in one particular product. Every niche and every product has that. And when you narrow, narrow it down to the, to the, to the uh, people within your niche that are actually going to be interested in your product, number one, it makes it easier because you only have to call on a certain people or a certain number of people. And it makes it easier that you call on people who are actually interested and happy that you found them. And the happier your customer is, the happier you're going to be.
1: So a lot of people get stuck up in this whole you know, hot topic of sort of social selling and inbound selling right now, thinking that that's what they're going to do. If they just use social media correctly, that little niche is going to call them and throw checks at them. But I assume you don't think that you can sell by just you know, essentially using the Internet to market.
2: Mm, I think it would really depend on the product and a niche, but uh, to think that you can sell me a house because you're a realtor who tweets about houses is idiotic. I don't, I don't need you to tweet about houses and, and all that kind of thing or, or makeup or whatever it is just to tweet about it and tweet at me and tell me, here's what I've got. Come buy it. Doesn't work. Twitter's not for selling. Twitter's for socializing. That's why it's called social media. If you happen to be Let's see, you and I are connected on Twitter, and you happen to be selling coffee, and Lord knows that anybody that follows me on Twitter knows that I love coffee. And you say, <laughs> hey, Mike, I just bought some new Guatemalan beans from such and such coffee company. Then I'll go look at those, and, and I, may, I may buy them based on your recommendation, but not because you were a salesman, because you were social and my friend. So tell me where the internet works for salespeople think the Internet works mostly for research for salespeople and then uh, notwithstanding their website, let's just the Internet in general. It works for research. It works for helping them watch people, how do they react in certain situations, what are they interested in, what are they not interested in, what makes them happy, what makes them sad. If you're going to sell, you're going to have to learn to read people. If you show up at a customer's office and he looks like all the blood has rushed from his face... Instead of just trying to sell him right then, you might want to say, how's your day going? And he might be like me and say, hey, my daughter just got put in the hospital. You've got to have enough sense right then to say, we need to talk later and you need to get to do something else and uh, we'll reschedule later on. Keep me in touch. And if I haven't heard from you in 36 hours, 72 hours, I'll holler at you. So
1: let's talk a little bit more about mistakes that you see salespeople in today's world. That could be online or offline. What are the biggest mistakes people are making every day?
2: They show up and throw up. First thing they do, and I get vendors that call on me every day of the week. They come in and tell me the greatest new thing about their product, their company, their service, blah, blah, blah. And all they do is talk about them, 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 without ever asking how that would affect me and my needs. That's the the number one fault of salespeople. A number two fault of salespeople happens, I think, is a smartphone, because most people have a lot of trouble with a smartphone. It's, it's tough to be on a phone call, and when you get off of that phone call, have missed three calls, you've got three voicemails, there's three texts, and there's five emails. That's pretty daunting, and unless today's uh, companies that have salespeople teach them how to breathe and just answer these one at a time, but do answer them, uh, then it turns into he never got back to me. And when he gets back to you two days later, I've already bought from somebody else. So they today's salesperson has to learn how to deal with the onslaught of information and in customers. I mean, you, you've got to keep a, a good old-fashioned steno pad in your hand, in your car, wherever you're at. Write down those two or three phone calls and who they were and what they needed. Write down what those three emails were about. What, write down what those three texts were about. Prioritize those ten contacts, and then start answering them right then. And if you can, you'll be more likely to be successful. But if it overwhelms you and you can't do it because you now you've got ten more contacts you have to make with a with another human being, you're not going to last long. The uh, the third mistake that today's salespeople make is they show up and immediately launch into talking about themselves. Uh, hey, how are you doing today? And you ask that to customer and he says, I'm great. How are you? And then salespeople uh, start to tell him, well, my wife's wanting a divorce. My kids just joined a cult. My dog's in the pound. Uh, my car's broke down. All these type of personal things. They, they think that their customer is their friend and they start uh, dumping, ranting, raving all the above on them. And it just turns customers off quickly. And when that guy leaves, Uh, most customers start looking for somebody else that sells that same thing that will come in and not dump that on them.
1: I'm always surprised in business how many people do kind of share all the negative things that are going on in their life. They talk about, you know, what's going on in politics or, you know, like you said, they're getting divorced. And I I always joke that, you know, being a salesperson and and networking and being involved doesn't get you free therapy.
2: (laughs) I'm going to use that line uh, probably today, and I I may or may not give you credit for it, but that's exactly true. (laughs) Uh, When I have a vendor that shows up uh, to see me and all he talks about is himself and his problems, honestly, the first thing I look for is somebody else that can sell me that same thing because I really don't have time nor need for that during the day. In sales, I need for my life to be as less toxic as possible. The more positive that I can make it through the day, the more likely that I've had a great day and the more likely that I've been able to help more people when I don't get bogged down with toxicity.
1: Well, and there's enough negativity and and toxicity out there that we don't need to add that to the people who we're encountering. And I learned that kind of young in life. My mom was real sick when I was in high school, and I found if all I did was talk to my friends about her cancer, all of a sudden, nobody wanted to be around me, and that served me really well when I was in a uh, sales position because, you know, I, you still have problems. We all still deal with stuff, but, you know, there's a time and a place for who you share that stuff with.
2: That's absolutely correct. Now, if my customer wants to talk about some of those things and he feels like he needs to dump, I take that as a sign that they that they know, like, and trust me, and I'll listen to them but I'm not going to share any of my stuff with them. I don't think that's, that's the way to do it. But I will listen. I, you know, We have two ears and one mouth, and we should actually use them in, in that proportion plus a, a, a factor of three. So we should probably listen six or seven times as much as we talk when dealing with customers.
1: So, Mike, what do you absolutely love about the life you've created over the past 25 years being a professional salesperson?
2: I really do love to help people and I really do love to help them buy mostly because that's how I get paid is because they buy. But it's the helping the person and seeing the smile on their face and knowing that that they're past that little issue. I deal with architects, uh, designers, general contractors, and it's, it's great to show up at an architect's office and have him say, I need uh, I need a brick for this school I'm designing. I need a certain color and a certain texture. And I go away and grab those samples and come back to him in one day, one week, whatever it is, and have him look at it and say, that's exactly what I was looking for. Well, now he's, he's got 15 other divisions in the construction world to deal with, but he doesn't have to deal with mine anymore. And I can move to the next thing, and he can move to the next thing. And having those people know that they're going to call on me they can count on me to show them and get them what they need, uh, when they need it, and how they need it, and get past that. Uh, it's, it's, it's like a mission accomplished, and there is nothing, especially for an old military guy, there's nothing uh, more satisfying than accomplishing a mission and moving to the next one.
1: So a lot of people have this kind of feeling inside of them. Maybe they're working, you know, a desk job. They have this feeling inside of them they want to be an entrepreneur. But I often think sometimes you don't have to actually go out and start your own business. I think if you move your career into a sales-oriented position, you can get that thrill of being an entrepreneur. Because as a salesperson, I always looked at it that, yeah, I worked for a big company and and they wrote my check. But at the end of the day, I was responsible for my own life as a salesperson. So do you think there's a lot of correlation between being an entrepreneur and being a successful salesperson?
2: Yeah, I do. I I take it as as I work for myself, because I get paid off of what I sell, not off of what anybody else in the company sells. So I'm a one-man gang and a one-man army until it comes to time to fulfill the orders and get them what they need. And then we need the rest of the company to step up and do their part. But it, it helps to know out there in the, in the world that you're you're the one, you're the man, and you're going to make the difference for you, your family, and for that customer. So it's, a, it's an entrepreneurial lifestyle without uh, being just all alone because I do have the company back there for support.
1: So I got a couple more questions for you before I let you go. But first, I've got to thank the sponsor. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing cool people like Mike. So if you want to start a podcast, jump on over to podfly.net slash cool things and see the offer that they have for all the listeners of this show. So, Mike, what advice do you have for entrepreneurs? And then this is a two part question. Number one, for selling their company and themselves to their potential clients. So I think entrepreneurs have to be the number one salesperson of the company. And then number two, what advice do you have
2: for them in finding the right salespeople as their company grows? For the first part, um, they need to be able to find they need to not worry about what they have. They need to worry about what people need. Find people that need what you have and talk to them. But you have to really study the customer. And sometimes a salesman can actually find something that the company needs uh, before the company knows that they need it. There are people out there that uh, I uh, I see things coming before they do, customers of mine. And I tell them, here's this. Keep this in a file. You'll know when you'll need it. And then you know, six months later, they'll call me up and say, hey, I just got that file out today. And I said, I'll be there tomorrow or the next day or whatever day works for, for us, and we'll talk about it. And it's it's more of that no like, and trust factor because they know I was thinking about them. And that's all that really matters for entrepreneurs. Find people that all you can do is think about them. For finding salespeople, let me give you the best piece of advice you'll ever get. You cannot train an, a salesperson. You can find salespeople and hire them. I'll give you a story of a, a gentleman that used to buy product from me and I bought product from him. He called me uh, one Monday morning and said, uh, This last Friday, I went into the video store and uh, I've been going there for two or three weeks with this young lady that I've been dating. When I went in this time, the boy behind the counter said, Hey, Here's a sack for you. It's got three movies and the popcorn that you're going to like based on what you've done the last two or three weeks. You don't even have to go out there and look, take the bag and trust me. And he did. He went back the next Friday. The guy had another sack, three movies, all the popcorn he needed in there. And he went in there. So then he calls me, and says, can you believe that? And I said, well, here's something you need to believe. Either you call him right now and hire him, or I will. And he hired him <laughs> and, uh, 20 some odd years later, that boy was still working for him in sales. Wow. You don't hire salespeople. You don't hire somebody from from washing cars and teach them to be a salesman. Just because you can hire somebody doesn't mean you can teach them to sell. Find somebody that's selling something. Even if it's just themselves, when you find somebody that can sell, you can teach them about your product because they need to know very little about your product. They need to know a lot more about how to sell. And if we use the old 80-20 rule, that's the way it needs to go. They need to know 80% of their body needs to know how to sell and the other 20% needs to know about your product. Gosh, Mike, that is such a that is such a great
1: story that you just told and it reminded me I actually early on in my career got a couple of jobs because I was the kid in the story behind the counter, right? I mean, I wasn't in a video store, but people would see me doing what I did and they'd turn around and and hire me. And in fact, in one case where my career sort of pivoted from moderate earnings to a much better income level was I was calling on somebody and I was out networking and this lady, they were going to open an office in Austin and a woman from Dallas pulled me aside and said, do you love what you do? And I'm like, well, I kind of like it, but you know, I kind of hemmed and hawed. And she said, no, do you love what you do? And I said, no. And she goes, good, because I think you would love doing this, what I do. And we need somebody in Austin who's well-connected, who knows how to work hard. And it changed the path of my entire life. I worked for that company for several years, but it led me up to what became the greatest job of my life that led me into having the skills to now have my own business. And I always remember being at a networking function and this woman who she herself was a salesperson for the company. She wasn't the manager. She just said, we have to have you on our team. And that used to happen 20 and 30 years ago, a lot. And I don't see that happening as much anymore. Do you think that's something that we've gotten away from as business owners and as as sales managers is just keeping our radar up and then plucking people away? It seems now everybody wants to you know see their resume and have five years experience in our business, et cetera, et cetera.
2: Yes, the, you're absolutely correct. The next generation that came up uh, went to HR people who sit and uh, emotionless in an office looking at resumes, calling people with their monotone voices and making them fit into their mold instead of a human out there finding somebody uh, by accident or or through fate that actually does fit the sales mold. And when that happened, it started to, to get ugly in south out there. Uh, years ago, I had a company that wanted to hire me and their vice president of the sales says, you're going to be the greatest one we've ever had. I can't wait to get you hired. Now you need to go talk to HR. And I went in there to talk to them thinking they were just going to hand me enough paper to fill out to take the job. And the guy said, I've got a little test I want to give you. And he started talking about when trains started to collide when one was going east and one was going north in 30 miles an hour. And I said, whoa, 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 hold on a second. If you're going to give me a personality test after the vice president of sales just said I was going to be the greatest salesman y'all ever had, we got an issue here. He said, well, you can't get the job without this. And I said, you're right. So I, don't, I can't get the job. And I got up <laughs> and walked out. And I was halfway across the state when the vice president called me. He said, you didn't take the test? And I said, well, heck no, I didn't take the test. If you don't have enough power as the vice president of sales to hire me, who you said would be the greatest salesman you ever had, I am so tickled that I do not work for you guys that it just it makes me want to just stop and eat a hamburger.
1: Well, I have a similar story in the fact that I interviewed for a sales job early in my career. I mean, I must have been like 26, 27 years old, and I was selling advertising, and I interviewed for a sales job uh, with the local business journal where I live, and the sales manager had me do the personality test. And the personality test basically said I would not be able to sell, that I would not be successful, And about two years later, I was at an event, and by the way, I I became fairly successful in other stuff I was doing, by the way, and the editor of the paper said, why don't you work for us? And the sales manager was standing there, and I looked at him, and I said, why don't you tell her? And she literally said, what? And he said, well, I couldn't hire him because the company policy was he didn't score in the right quadrant of aggressiveness or whatever the quadrant was. And I always looked at that as a twofold thing. One is the direction I went was way better than if I had taken that job. So, you know, there's always that little thing that someone's watching out for you. Things happen for a reason. But the other side was, is I don't want to work for a company that says, you know, this test that we had someone takes, you know, is the final God of how we do business, because that's just going to be an awful place to work when it comes to, you know, other things that are that, you know, go on in the day to day life. Like you said, if if he doesn't have the power to super uh, to override that test, you know, what's he going to do when the salesman needs their sales manager?
2: That's exactly it. You have to take that as an omen of how they do anything is how they do everything. So. You take that with a grain, you know, a grain of salt, and say, "This was a great lesson. Thank you that I do not work for these guys because it's just going to get worse from there." You know, before I before I took my blog down and went underground, I used to get salespeople all the time ask me, "Hey, uh, I have to make six hundred phone calls a day." And I'm in sales and I'm blah, blah, blah. And I said, you know, I have to stop them and say, you're not in sales. You're a telemarketer. You need to quit and find a real sales job because sales forces do not sit behind a desk and make 600 phone calls a day. Telemarketers do, not salespeople.
1: So what advice then do you have for entrepreneurs to be more tuned in to finding great salespeople? I mean, if if we both agree that we saw this happen a lot 30 years ago, and now everybody has to have the perfect resume and pass the personality quiz, what advice do you have for somebody who's got a startup Maybe they've got their own company and they're thinking, oh, God, I just need, I can't find great salespeople. What advice do you have for them to keep their eyes open and
2: put their radar on? Well, they have to learn to, to notice a good salesperson in their everyday life. If they get up every morning and go to a coffee shop and the barista or the person behind the counter says, oh, there's Tom. He's going to want a double waka chaka makalake and a, uh, and a biscuit.
0: Hey, and welcome to another episode of Cool
1: Things Entrepreneurs Do. And if you've been listening lately, you know I've been talking a lot about sales because at the end of the day, we are all. Salespeople. I know I work a lot with lawyers, and they say, "Oh no, I'm an attorney." Well, if you don't have clients, you're not an attorney. So you actually have to be in sales because we've got to get that first. And so we have had uh, lots of discussions about what it is to really go back to the basics of sales. I've interviewed a few people. I have done a couple of episodes where it's just me talking about sales. I have found myself working more with sales teams, speaking at like all hands sales meetings to a variety of different companies and really you know we live in this world where there is so much attention the last decade on all the social media tools and everything has gone mobile and everybody thinks that somehow a like a link a share and a follow really equals a relationship and i think we need to get back to talking about good old-fashioned face-to-face belly-to-belly sales and so i went out and thought who do i know who is a salesman's salesman, just cut from the cloth right out of the bucket. Who do I know who lives and breathes sales? And that would be Mike Siggers. Mike is somebody who I met via the online world. So it's not like we diss the online world when I say, hey, it's not about a like, a link, a share, and a follow. Likes, links, shares, and follow can lead to friendships, but it takes a little bit of effort. And Mike and I met, gosh, it's got to be coming up on eight or nine years ago, When social media was actually – get ready for it – when social media was actually social, and I think Mike read something I wrote on my blog about sales, and he sent me a note on Twitter, and we had a conversation – And we corresponded and I remember we talked on the phone one time and then I was giving a speech at a really big conference in Nashville and he spends a lot of time in that area and he drove down and we went out to dinner and we went to the Grand Old Opry. And, you know, ever since then, I've always considered Mike not just somebody who I, you know, knew online, but somebody who's a friend and he's the perfect example of why we have to get back to that face to face thing to actually have friendships. I'm connected to thousands of people. But I don't say they're all my friends just because Facebook calls people your friend doesn't mean they necessarily are. So Mike is a true and blue salesman. When I asked him about an introduction, he said, I'm a simple guy. I'm a salesman. That's all you have to say. And Mike sells brick and block and stone and all the related products that go with that, and he's been doing it for 25 years. And I want Mike to share a little bit of his journey and his philosophy of what it takes to be a good salesperson, because if you're an entrepreneur or you want to be an entrepreneur, you had darn well better be paying attention to how do you sell the product, because if you can't sell your product or service, maybe nobody can. So Mike, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks, Tom. Appreciate the introduction, and it's, uh, it's funny that the first time we met in person within a few minutes, we were on our way to the grand old lottery, and, uh, and since then, it's been uh, easy to connect via text, Twitter, phone, or whatever, and, and I, too, consider you a friend, and I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. So, Mike, did you start you know
1: right away into sales, or, or what did you do after high school? Where, did, where does Mike's begin? But, but don't take me all the way back to birth, but just give me a little bit of the career path that you took.
2: 36 hours after I graduated high school, I was in the Army. I oh graduated my gosh. Tuesday night at 8.30 p.m. and 8.30 a.m. Thursday. I was in the Army, and I spent uh, six years in the service. I came out. I uh, had been married three years at that time and tried the, uh, uh, the small-town factory uh, jobs. Didn't like any of those. Uh, wasn't able to rise above where we wanted to be. My landlord at the time said, son, uh, you need to get into sales, because if you learn to sell, you'll never look for a job. And I'm pretty sure that was 1990, and it's true. I've been in sales ever since, and I've rarely uh, looked for a job, Because, and I say rarely because most of the time it was people... Looking for me, right? Good salespeople
1: are hard to find, and and sometimes people forget that. I, I work with a lot of professionals, and I think
2: they forget that the reason that salespeople are paid so well is because it's hard work. It can be, uh, it can be very tough work if you go about it the wrong way, and even if you go about it the right way, it's still a tough day, and you have to be able to deal with the word no without it affecting you. So,
1: 1990, you you went into sales. And what was the first thing you learned about being a salesperson?
2: First thing I learned was that uh, to get used to the word "no" because you're going to hear it a lot. Uh, I learned that uh, at the end of the day you need a support system at home, be it a uh, spouse or a or a pet or a child or whoever you need somebody to 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 talk to to get rid of the bitterness of the day until you get really good and focus in on what you're doing uh, the problem for entrepreneurs is they think everybody is their, is their customer. When in truth, uh, my life got a lot easier when I figured out that I needed to be selling or talking to the right person at the right time with the right product. So today, I'm 180 degrees off opposite of back then. Today, uh, I just get up with the attitude of helping as many people as possible get what they need within my niche. And at the end of the day, I have, because of that, they have bought enough for me to make my family a good living. The average entrepreneur thinks everybody is my customer, and all I've got to do is persuade and convince them, and they'll buy from me. And that's a long, tough, hard, ugly life. Well, we've said it a lot on this show, but it's the
1: old Zig Ziglar adage. If you can have anything you want in this world, if you just help other people get what they want in this world—
2: absolutely true. And that's how I go about my day today. But it wasn't always that case. But when you when you come to the realization that all I, I'm a servant, I get up and I serve people and I serve the ones that happen to be looking for what we produce and sell. So you said
1: it always wasn't that way. Why don't you take us back to your early days of sales? What were some of the frustrations? What were some of the, the hardships that you faced?
2: Well, it was a lot of no and it was caused because I was trying to uh, persuade, convince that old old adage of always be closing. When you think you can close and sell to everybody and everybody, when the world is your oyster and you're trying to sell those oysters to everybody, it's going to be a long, tough day. And I probably have read every old sales book I can find by Claude Hopkins, uh, John E. Kennedy, Elmer Wheeler. I have hundreds of sales books and and uh, marketing books written through the twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, sixties before everybody started just regurgitating and copying the same stuff on their blogs. Back when people had to sell face to face and door to door, and it was actually sales. And every one of those uh, things is is a learning. You know, you put it in your in your memory bank. It's not always relevant, and there there's the problem for a lot of entrepreneurs. They think if they learn how to close and convert and convince that they can sell everybody. And it's, and it's they don't take into consideration that's not how they buy. How they buy is they buy from people. People buy from people, not products and not, uh, not from companies. And, you know, there are companies that miss that as well. And they think we can have any salesman. We don't have to train them. We don't have to do anything to them. People will buy from us just because we're us. And there's so many traps and pitfalls out there for people and companies in sales that, uh, they, that it is a long, hard road to hoe. So
1: you bring up an interesting point, and that is sales training. So I run into a lot of companies who don't want to invest the money or the time to train their salespeople. They just assume that if they hire them and give them a manual and give them a few, you know, quippy little things to say about the company in a fancy brochure that it's all going to work. So you clearly, after, you know, 25 plus years, 30 years in sales, you obviously uh, have been through some sales training classes. Wow. Do you think that's important?
2: Sales training is important, but it needs to be the right, the proper, and the correct sales training, and there is a lot of bad sales training out there, and I do work with a a sales trainer uh, on occasion, and and he has shown me that, uh, and we have found through blogging, through podcasting, and other means, the vast majority of salespeople are not interested in furthering their craft through sales training. They don't pay attention. They want to be out there answering the phone. They want to be driving down the road. They, they're thinking about their next flight in the airport. They don't think it's important to learn about their craft. And they, too, are wrong, just as the company is wrong, to not give them the proper sales training. And what I mean by that is giving them more literature about the product is not proper sales training. Teaching them how to read and respond to people, that's sales training. So I have a friend, his name is Jerry O'Brien,
1: and I just said this on an episode a, a couple of days ago, but he has a great saying, and that is people don't need more information. And that sort of reminds me, like when you're given them more education about the product, people don't need more information. They need more action. And I think that's something that holds a lot of people back is, is they, they want to you know, sit all day and maybe you know contemplate their clients or they want to use social media and just tweet about their product instead of actually getting out there and
2: selling. That old uh, American Airlines commercial where the uh, gentleman comes out with his sleeves rolled up and his tie pulled down a little bit and starts throwing airline tickets in front of everybody, and they say, what is this? And he says, we're going to visit every one of our customers. And uh, another guy says, do you know how long that will take or do you know how much that's going to cost? And he looks at him and says, yes. <laughs> that's, the, that's the difference in, in, a, uh, in a sales force And the difference in customer service people, salespeople visit people, salespeople talk to people face to face, and they don't talk to them trying to convince them and convert them. They talk to them to try to find out what their needs are.
1: So when I think about sort of sales training, you brought up the fact that there's bad sales training. Give me a little bit more of an example of of what's bad.
2: Well, uh, you know, there are a million books out there written probably through the 70s that start talking about closing. And there are still people today, unfortunately, that own their blogs or podcasts that all they can talk about is how to close, how to close, how to close. And that insinuates that everybody is your customer and you can close them. You can convince them. You can persuade them. And it's just not true. And people still do that today. Can they convince one out of a thousand? Sure they can. But then you've created a, a, a customer with buyer's remorse, You've created a customer that's going to tell people uh, or say bad things about the product because it really wasn't a fit for them, and it, it, there's nothing good about it. It may make you a living, but it won't make you happy, and it won't make them happy. So give me the example of great sales training. Great sales training teaches a, a salesman how to, how to serve their clients and their customers, their market, and their niche. It teaches them how to narrow down within that niche, the small pockets of people that are actually prospects, and therein lies the difference that most entrepreneurs never get to. Everybody, let's let's just grab one off the internet. Weight training. Everybody that's interested in weight training doesn't want to buy a product about weight training. It might be a new a new uh, mother. So if you created the new mother's guide for weight training you've narrowed it down to somebody that might be interested in one particular product. Every niche and every product has that. And when you narrow, narrow it down to the, to the, to the uh, people within your niche that are actually going to be interested in your product, number one, it makes it easier because you only have to call on a certain people or a certain number of people. And it makes it easier that you call on people who are actually interested and happy that you found them And the happier your customer is, the happier you're going to be.
1: So a lot of people get stuck up in this whole, you know, hot topic of sort of social selling and inbound selling right now, thinking that that's what they're going to do. If they just use social media correctly, that little niche is going to call them and throw checks at them. But I assume you don't think that you can sell by just, you know, essentially using the Internet to market.
2: Hmm. I think it would really depend on the product and a niche, but uh, to think that you can sell me a house because you're a realtor who tweets about houses is idiotic. I don't, I don't need you to tweet about houses and, and all that kind of thing or, or makeup or whatever it is just to tweet about it and tweet at me and tell me, here's what I've got. Come by it. Doesn't work. Twitter's not for selling. Twitter's for socializing. That's why it's called social media. If you happen to be Let's see, you and I are connected on Twitter, and you happen to be selling coffee, and Lord knows that anybody that follows me on Twitter knows that I love coffee. And you say, <laughs> hey, Mike, I just bought some new Guatemalan beans from such and such coffee company. Then I'll go look at those, and, and I, may, I may buy them based on your recommendation, but not because you were a salesman, because you were social and my friend. So tell me where the internet works for salespeople think the internet works mostly for research, for salespeople. And then uh, notwithstanding their website, let's just the internet in general, it works for research. It works for helping them watch people. How do they react in certain situations? What are they interested in? What are they not interested in? What makes them happy? What makes them sad? If you're going to sell, you're going to have to learn to read people. If you show up at a customer's office and he looks like all the blood has rushed from his face, Instead of just trying to sell him right then, you might want to say, how's your day going? And he might be like me and say, hey, my daughter just got put in the hospital. You've got to have enough sense right then to say, we need to talk later and you need to get to do something else. And uh, we'll reschedule later on. Keep me in touch. And if I haven't heard from you in 36 hours, 72 hours, I'll holler at you.
1: So let's talk a little bit more about mistakes that you see salespeople in today's world. That could be online or offline. What are the biggest mistakes people are making every day?
2: They show up and throw up. First thing they do, and I get vendors that call on me every day of the week. They come in and tell me the greatest new thing about their product, their company, their service, blah, blah, blah. And all they do is talk about them, 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 without ever asking how that would affect me and my needs. That's the that's the number one fault of salespeople. The number two fault of salespeople, happens, I think, is a smartphone because most people have a lot of trouble with a smartphone. It's it's tough to be on a phone call, and when you get off of that phone call, have missed three calls, you've got three voicemails, there's three texts, and there's five emails. That's pretty daunting, and unless today's uh, companies that have salespeople teach them how to breathe and just answer these one at a time, but do answer them, uh, then it turns into, he never got back to me. And when he gets back to you two days later, I've already bought from somebody else. So they today's salesperson has to learn how to deal with the onslaught of information and in customers. I mean, you, you've got to keep a, a good old-fashioned steno pad in your hand, in your car, wherever you're at. Write down those two or three phone calls and who they were and what they needed, write down what those three emails were about, write down what those three texts were about, prioritize those 10 contacts, and then start answering them right then. And if you can, you'll be more likely to be successful. But if it overwhelms you and you can't do it because now you've got 10 more contacts you have to make with with another human being, you're not going to last long. The, uh, the third mistake that today's salespeople make is they show up and immediately launch into talking about themselves. Uh, hey, how are you doing today? And you ask that to customer and he says, I'm great. How are you? And then salespeople uh, start to tell him, well, my wife's wanting a divorce. My kids just joined a cult. My dog's <laughs> in the pound. Uh, my car's broke down. All these type of personal things. They, they think that their customer is their friend And they start uh, dumping, ranting, raving, all the above on them, and it just turns customers off quickly. And when that guy leaves, uh, most customers start looking for somebody else that sells that same thing that will come in and not dump that on them.
1: I'm always surprised in business how many people do kind of share all the negative things that are going on in their life. They talk about, you know, what's going on in politics or, you know, like you said, they're getting divorced. And I I always joke that, you know, being a salesperson
2: and and networking and being involved doesn't get you free therapy. (laughs) I'm going to use that line uh, probably (laughs) today. And I I may or may not give you credit for it, but that's exactly (laughs) true. Uh, When I have a vendor that shows up uh, to see me. And all he talks about is himself and his problems. Honestly, the first thing I look for is somebody else that can sell me that same thing because I really don't have time nor need for that during the day. In sales, I need for my life to be as less toxic as possible. The more positive that I can make it through the day, the more likely that I've had a great day and the more likely that I've been able to help more people when I don't get bogged down with toxicity.
1: Well, and there's enough negativity and and toxicity out there that we don't need to add that to the people who we're encountering. And I learned that kind of young in life. My mom was real sick when I was in high school, and I found if all I did was talk to my friends about her cancer, all of a sudden, nobody wanted to be around me. And that served me really well when I was in a sales position because, you know, you still have problems. We all still deal with stuff, but, you know, there's a time and a place for who you share that stuff with.
2: That's absolutely correct. Now, if my customer wants to talk about some of those things and he feels like he needs to dump, I take that as a sign that they that they know like and trust me, and I'll listen to them, but I'm not going to share any of my stuff with them. I don't think that's that's the way to do it, but I will listen. I, you know, we have two ears and one mouth, and we should actually use them in in that proportion plus a, a factor of three. So we should probably listen six or seven times as much as we talk when dealing with customers.
1: So Mike, what do you absolutely love about the life you've created over the past 25 years being a professional salesperson?
2: I really do love to help people and I really do love to help them buy mostly because that's how I get paid is because they buy. But it's the helping the person and seeing the smile on their face and knowing that, that they're a past that little issue. I deal with architects, uh, designers, general contractors, and it's it's great to show up at an architect's office and have him say, I need, uh, I need a brick for this school I'm designing. I need a certain color and a certain texture. And I go away and grab those samples and come back to him in one day, one week, whatever it is, and have him look at it and say, that's exactly what I was looking for. Well, now he's he's got 15 other divisions in the construction world to deal with, but he doesn't have to deal with mine anymore, and I can move to the next thing, and he can move to the next thing. And having those people know that they're going to call on me, they can count on me to show them and get them what they need, uh, when they need it, and how they need it, and get past that, uh, it's, it's, it's like a mission accomplished. And there is nothing, especially for an old military guy, there's nothing uh, more satisfying than accomplishing a mission and moving to the next one.
1: So a lot of people have this kind of feeling inside of them. Maybe they're working, you know, a desk job. They have this feeling inside of them they want to be an entrepreneur. But I often think sometimes you don't have to actually go out and start your own business. I think if you move your career into a sales-oriented position, you can get that thrill of being an entrepreneur. Because as a salesperson, I always looked at it that, yeah, I worked for a big company and and they wrote my check. But at the end of the day, I was responsible for my own life as a salesperson. So do you think there's a lot of correlation between being an entrepreneur and being a successful salesperson?
2: Yeah, I do. I, I take it as as I work for myself, because I get paid off of what I sell, not off of what anybody else in the company sells. So I'm a one-man gang and a one-man army until it comes to time to fulfill the orders and get them what they need. And then we need the rest of the company to step up and do their part. But it, it helps to know out there in the, in the world that you're you're the one, you're the man, and you're going to make the difference for you, your family, and for that customer. So it's, a, it's an entrepreneurial lifestyle without uh, being just all alone because I do have the company back there for support.
1: So I got a couple more questions for you before I let you go. But first, I've got to thank the sponsor. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing cool people like Mike. So if you want to start a podcast, jump on over to podfly.net slash cool things and see the offer that they have for all the listeners of this show. So, Mike, what advice do you have for entrepreneurs? And then this is a two-part question. Number one, for selling their company and themselves to their potential clients. So I think entrepreneurs have to be the number one salesperson of the company. And then number two, what advice do you have for them in finding the right salespeople as their
2: company grows? For the first part, um, they need to be able to find – they need to not worry about what they have. They need to worry about what people need. Find people that need what you have and talk to them. But you have to really study the customer. And sometimes a salesman can actually find something that the company needs uh, before the company knows that they need it. There are people out there that uh, I uh, I see things coming before they do, customers of mine. And I tell them, here's this. Keep this in a file. You'll know when you'll need it. And then, you know, six months later, they'll call me up and say, "Hey, I just got that file out today." And I said, "I'll be there tomorrow or the next day or whatever day works for for us, and we'll talk about it." And it's it's more of that no like and trust factor because they know I was thinking about them, and that's all that really matters for entrepreneurs. Find people that all you can do is think about them. For finding salespeople, let me give you the best piece of advice you'll ever get. You cannot train a salesperson. You can find salespeople and hire them. I'll give you a story of a a gentleman that used to buy product from me and I bought product from him. He called me uh, one Monday morning and said, uh, This last Friday, I went into the video store and uh, I've been going there for two or three weeks with this young lady that I've been dating. When I went in this time, the boy behind the counter said, Hey, Here's a sack for you. It's got three movies and the popcorn that you're going to like based on what you've done the last two or three weeks. You don't even have to go out there and look, take the bag and trust me. And he did. He went back the next Friday. The guy had another sack, three movies, all the popcorn he needed in there. And he went in there. So then he calls me, and says, can you believe that? And I said, well, here's something you need to believe. Either you call him right now and hire him or I will. And he <laughs> hired him and, uh, 20-some-odd years later, that boy was still working for him in sales. Wow. You don't hire salespeople. You don't hire somebody from, from washing cars and teach them to be a salesman. Just because you can hire somebody doesn't mean you can teach them to sell. Find somebody that's selling something. Even if it's just themselves, when you find somebody that can sell, you can teach them about your product because they need to know very little about your product. They need to know a lot more about how to sell. And if we use the old 80-20 rule, that's the way it needs to go. They need to know 80% of their body needs to know how to sell and the other 20% needs to know about your product. Gosh, Mike, that is such a that is such a great story that you just told and it reminded me, I
1: actually early on in my career got a couple of jobs because I was the kid In the story behind the counter. Right. I mean, I wasn't in a video store, but people would see me doing what I did and they'd turn around and and hire me. And in fact, in one case where my career sort of pivoted from moderate earnings to a much better income level was I was calling on somebody and I was out networking and this lady, they were going to open an office in Austin and a woman from Dallas pulled me aside and said, do you love what you do? And I'm like, well, I kind of like it, but you know, I kind of hemmed and hawed. And she said, no, do you love what you do? And I said, no. And she goes, good, because I think you would love doing this, what I do. And we need somebody in Austin who's well-connected, who knows how to work hard. And it changed the path of my entire life. I worked for that company for several years, but it led me up to what became the greatest job of my life that led me into having the skills to now have my own business. And I always remember being at a networking function and this woman who she herself was a salesperson for the company. She wasn't the manager. She just said, we have to have you on our team. And that used to happen 20 and 30 years ago, a lot. And I don't see that happening as much anymore. Do you think that's something that we've gotten away from as business owners and as as sales managers is just keeping our radar up and then plucking people away? It seems now everybody wants to you know see their resume and have five years experience in our business, et cetera, et cetera.
2: Yes, the, you're absolutely correct. The next generation that came up uh, went to HR people who sit and uh, emotionless in an office looking at resumes, calling people with their monotone voices and making them fit into their mold instead of a human out there finding somebody uh, by accident or or through fate that actually does fit the sales mold. And when that happened, it started to, to get ugly in south out there. Uh, years ago, I had a company that wanted to hire me and their vice president of sales says, you're going to be the greatest one we've ever had. I can't wait to get you hired. Now you need to go talk to HR. And I went in there to talk to them, thinking they were just going to hand me enough paper to fill out to take the job. And the guy said, I've got a little test I want to give you. And he started talking about when trains started to collide, when one was going east and one was going north in 30 miles an hour. And I said, whoa, 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 hold on a second. If you're going to give me a personality test after the vice president of sales just said I was going to be the greatest salesman y'all ever had, we got an issue here. He said, well, you can't get the job without this. And I said, you're right. So I don't, I can't get the job. And (laughs) I got up and walked out. And I was halfway across the state when the vice president called me. He said, you didn't take the test? And I said, well, heck no, I didn't take the test. If you don't have enough power as the vice president of sales to hire me, who you said would be the greatest salesman you ever had. I am so tickled that I do not work for you guys that it just it makes me want to just stop and eat a hamburger.
1: Well, I have a similar story in the fact that I interviewed for a sales job early in my career. I mean, I must have been like 26, 27 years old, and I was selling advertising, and I interviewed for a sales job uh, with the local business journal where I live, and the sales manager had me do the personality test. And the personality test basically said I would not be able to sell, that I would not be successful. And about two years later, I was at an event, and by the way, I I became fairly successful in other stuff I was doing, by the way, and the editor of the paper said, why don't you work for us? And the sales manager was standing there, and I looked at him, and I said, why don't you tell her? And she literally said, what? And he said, well, I couldn't hire him because the company policy was he didn't score in the right quadrant of aggressiveness or whatever the quadrant was. And I always looked at that as a twofold thing. One is the direction I went was way better than if I had taken that job. So, you know, there's always that little thing that someone's watching out for you. Things happen for a reason. But the other side was, is I don't want to work for a company that says, you know, this test that we had someone takes, you know, is the final God of how we do business, because that's just going to be an awful place to work when it comes to, you know, other things that are that, you know, go on in the day to day life. Like you said, if if he doesn't have the power to super uh, to override that test, you know, what's he going to do when the salesman needs their sales manager?
2: That's exactly it. You have to take that as an omen of how they do anything is how they do everything. So. You take that with a grain, you know, a grain of salt, and say, "This was a great lesson. Thank you that I do not work for these guys because it's just going to get worse from there." You know, before I before I took my blog down and went underground, I used to get salespeople all the time ask me, "Hey, uh, I have to make 600 phone calls a day." And I'm in sales and I'm blah, blah, blah. And I said, you know, I have to stop them and say, you're not in sales. You're a telemarketer. You need to quit and find a real sales job because sales forces do not sit behind a desk and make 600 phone calls a day. Telemarketers do, not salespeople.
1: So what advice then do you have for entrepreneurs to be more tuned in to finding great salespeople? I mean, if if we both agree that we saw this happen a lot 30 years ago, and now everybody has to have the perfect resume and pass the personality quiz, what advice do you have for somebody who's got a startup? Maybe they've got their own company and they're thinking, oh, God, I just need, I can't find great salespeople. What advice do you have for them to keep their eyes open and put their radar on?
2: Well, they have to learn to, to notice a good salesperson in their everyday life. If they get up every morning and go to a coffee shop and the barista or the person behind the counter says, oh, there's Tom. He's going to want a double waka chaka makalake and a, uh, and a biscuit blah, 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 that person has sales tendencies and they're trending the proper way. They could talk to them further to find out if they wanted to be in sales, do they like dealing with people or do they just want to do what they're doing? Or they they move down the road and they're going to get their, uh, their car worked on and get an oil change and the guy says, while you're in here getting your oil change, why don't you go in there where we've got free Wi-Fi, you can return text and do all this, I'm going to do this, this and this and the guy says, well, I didn't need those. He said, oh, there's no charge. But you, you actually do need these. You just don't know it, blah, 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 and brings up why. That's a salesperson. You've got to find people like that in your day-to-day life that know how to deal with people and get them what they need, irregardless of whether they want it or not, and notice that's a salesperson. And then you can talk to them about uh, would they like to try it? Would they like to move into sales? Do they like what they do, like, the, like they ask you? Do you like what you do? I do, but I've always wanted to be in sales. Really? Here's my card. Let's meet tomorrow for this, blah, 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 and go from there. You, you, you meet salespeople every day. You've just got to notice them.
1: So, Mike, I called the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. So what's the coolest, most entrepreneurial thing you're doing in your sales career these days?
2: Well, coolest thing that I do every day is help people. But as far as entrepreneurial, I'm just about to. Uh, as, as as you know, we talk back and forth. I I, I reviewed your first book on my blog. Mm, geez, that's got to be ten, years, 10 years, ago. years ago now, something yep. like that. Yep. And uh, I am I'm finally, you know, I, I got uh, I got a little sickened by the whole comment thing when WordPress came up and people and you started getting all the trolls on the comments and all that. I let it uh, I let it uh, get to me, and I wanted to take it down and just do things underground and not wear out where people can comment willy-nilly and say ugly stuff to you. You know, it's it's tough enough to come home and write a, write something for your blog every night as it is, or every week. But then when you have to deal with all those comments and trolls, it gets worse. Well, I I found some ways I think to uh, to be able to share my expertise again and go back to the days of of helping other people learn what I've already learned and hopefully for them learn it a lot easier and less expensively than the ways that I learn things. And that's probably the coolest thing that I'm about to do is to get back into sharing my expertise. Excellent.
1: Well, I look forward to seeing it because I always liked your expertise. So that, that is great. So I always ask the people on my show to give a little example of somebody else, not you, not your boss, not your company, somebody else out there who you think, wow, they're doing something cool. So who, who have you observed where you think that person's crushing it?
2: Well, you know, if I if I was forced to say something I've already talked about and you've seen on Twitter, you, you probably want to unfollow me every time because every morning I'm talking about the coffee I make. <laughs> the coolest thing that I've seen lately is uh, like that that's entrepreneurial Or my friends at Cowdy's Coffee in St. Louis have uh, just moved down to Atlanta and are starting to move south. And when you get... Uh, people that work in the coffee fields that are helping people in Guatemala, Costa Rica, and all these places live a better life through giving them, uh, uh, making a fair trade with them for their product and doing all those kind of things that uh, coffee roasters do. I think that's great. So every morning when I get up and I drink some some Guatemalan or Costa Rican or some um, Colombian beans, and I know that the coffee beans that I'm drinking came from a farmer that was treated fairly and is, is going to be able to provide for their family in a better way because somebody took the time to treat them fairly, I think that's pretty cool. Now, that's
1: awesome. What was the name of that company again?
2: Kaldi's. That's K-A-L-D-I apostrophe S. And they're in St. Louis. Excellent. Well, Mike, the final question I ask everybody is I think
1: great entrepreneurs and people with that entrepreneurial spirit, I think more than just making money, I think they like to leave their mark. So I always like to ask people, what do you do to serve the greater good? And, and I know that you do a lot because you're a very generous guy. So pick something that you do to serve others.
2: You know, uh, uh, I, help, I help a lot of people that I find, and it used to be on blogs Today, it's mostly on Twitter when I see young people, 25, 26, 27, maybe 30 or so, that are starting out. And they say, hey, I'm trying to do this and this and this. And I'll send them a direct message and say, I'll give you a free hour of my time. You can use it at 15-minute intervals or all at once or whatever you want to do. And uh, you can pick my brain. And maybe it'll keep you from uh, making some of the mistakes that I made. And when you get a 25 uh, year old that uh, thought they knew everything in the world that asked you three <laughs> questions and then they go whoa I, I need to think about this for a while and then they call back a week later and say hey you just don't know how much that helped me you know blah 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 I think that's uh, I think that's quite fun to, to help people and share because there weren't You know, we didn't have the tools when you or I were 25 to share as easily as we do today. And I think it's our duty to uh, to share all the things that we learned the hard way and hopefully keep them from making some of the mistakes that we made. And then they, too, can go live a better life and, and treat their families great and, you know, go from there.
1: Well, Mike, you bring up an interesting point, and that is the world needs more mentors. And it's, you know, in our day. Your mentor could only be somebody who you ran across, you know, in your locality because there was no way to find them. And now the younger generation can find mentors around the world, you know. I think it's so important to people who are in their, you know, early stages of their career, their 20s and their 30s, you know, to look out to people who've been seasoned and had those hard knocks. So it's so cool that you make yourself available to those people. But I always remind people that mentorship isn't just about age. You can be 60 and find a mentor in somebody 30. It's just a matter of who's somebody who can help guide you through the next path that you're going through
2: that's exactly correct I, I i still have mentors today and i'm 52 and you know some of mine are some of mine are 25 and some of them are 65 it's 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 all about you know it's not a lifetime process it could only be 5 minutes or it might be 5 hours or 5 days or 5 weeks I only, you know, they're there to teach me one thing, two things, three things or whatever. And then we move on to the next thing because it's not, you know, it's a mentorship, not a slave master relationship. (laughs) It's not going to last forever. It's just uh, me sharing this one thing. And maybe you've got one thing you can share with me. And uh, we go from there. So, Mike
1: Siggers, if somebody heard this episode and says, "I got to find this guy. I, I, I need. I need a mentor like him. I, I, I need to learn more about sales, or just have somebody, you know, I can bounce some things off of." You said you're really active on Twitter. How do people find you?
2: Yeah, just you know, just come to my Twitter handle handle at Mike Siggers and uh, strike up a conversation, or you could find me on LinkedIn with the same thing. I, I tend to use just my name for for everything that I do, and uh, go from there. And if you have something to share and I have something to share, then we can uh, we'll go from there. But if uh, you know it's it's tough, as you know, if all you're looking to do is uh, suck the suck the good stuff out of my brain and quick, hard, and fast, it's probably not going to go as well. If you're in a sharing type relationship with me, we might be friends forever or for a long time, like you and I have been.
1: Yep, absolutely, and that's Mike Siggers, S-I-G-E-R-S. Correct. Excellent. So thank you so much for being a guest on the show. And thank you, everybody, for listening in. I think this topic of, of sales and really getting back to basics when it comes to the art of selling is so important for everybody who has that entrepreneurial spirit, whether you're working for a company or starting your own business or running your own bigger business, this really matters. So thank you for tuning in and listening. I hope you got something out of today's episode. Hey, jump over to our Facebook page and join the conversation. Uh, Leave a review on iTunes about cool things entrepreneurs do. It's really important that I get more reviews because that's how you get ranked in this world of Uh, Everybody and their brother having a podcast, so I appreciate it if you do that. And if you want to join our uh, little private coaching group that we're putting together, we're still sticking our toe in the water, uh, but I've had several people reach out to get more information. Send me an email at Tom, T-H-O-M, at Tom Singer, and reference the Cool Things Project. I'm looking for a group of people who want to regularly meet and uh, kind of work together to sort of get more ambition and uh, get more things done and actually be able to do cooler things with their companies and their business efforts. I'll be back in a couple of days with another interview with somebody cool. But in the meantime,
0: you go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at tomsinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at tomsinger. This podcast was produced in part by Podfly.net. Podfly, passion for great sounding podcasts.